Okay, please don't raise your hands. Just answer this question to yourself. Who among you aspires to play on the second string? Who aspires to play second fiddle? Who of you would prefer the silver medal to the gold medal? Probably not many, if any of you at all, because to us, second place means second best. Well, in many ways, we have made Matthew second string. We have caused Matthew to play second fiddle to Luke, at least as far as Christmas stories are concerned. Matthew's story is not our first choice. It's not even Charlie Brown's first choice. You know, in in Matthew's story, there's nothing touching or heroic like the, the journey to Bethlehem on the donkey. There is no crowded inn, no innkeeper, no stable, no manger, no animals, no star, no shepherds, no host of the heavenly angels lighting up the sky. All of that is in Luke's Christmas story. And unlike Matthew, Luke doesn't taint his story or interrupt our good mood or steal away our warm, fuzzy feelings with the mention of a quick, quiet divorce. So it's Luke's and not Matthew's account that we really crave at Christmas to give us just that right Christmas spirit. But Matthew, in his account, Matthew's story has a a glory all its own that, that we cannot miss because Matthew's account shines the spotlight on God's love for us shows us the lengths to which God was willing to go to have us for his very own. And when you and I rightly understand this story that Matthew is telling us, it brilliantly points to the gospel. So that even while we are focusing on Christ, his birth is coming to earth, we're also looking at the cross. But we can't stay at the cross long because Matthew's story always also takes us to our final reality which is our forever union with Christ. You and I have got to love the Lord even more as we see in the account of Matthew how much the Lord loves us. And I pray that that's what happens as we come this morning to our scripture passage, which is Matthew chapter 1. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to ask you to turn in the New Testament to the first book, Matthew Chapter 1, and when you found your place, I want to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, this is the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, 
because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word, the true stories, the true stories that you tell us in your word. Father, the many layers and facets of truth that are contained in your word for us to look at and consider and to ponder. Thank you for Matthew's story that we have before us this morning. And now we ask you, O Holy Spirit of God, to open our hearts and our minds to experience and to understand your truth. And we do pray, Lord, that as we encounter you in your word, which is joined by your spirit, that you would cause our love for you to grow as your love for us is immense. So we thank you and pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And look, if you will, with me in verse 20. The scene that's described in verse 20 is common to all of us. It says, But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, the angel speaking is not the part that's common to all of us. The part that's common to us is this considering part, considering what to do. Lying awake at night, saucer-eyed, sheets wrapped around us from tossing and turning as we, as you, wonder what to do, what decision to make, whether you should commit or not commit. How will you get out of this difficult situation in which you found yourself? And nothing, as you lie there considering, seems clear to you. And since the way is not clear, there is usually some fear. There is some anxiety. Now, if that has ever happened to you, or if it is happening to you right now, then you are going to be able to relate to Joseph and his story. But more importantly, all of us should be encouraged and lifted up and have hope when we see how God goes to work in the life of Joseph. See, turmoil has unexpectedly hijacked a life that was not tumultuous at all. In fact, up until this point, Joseph was probably in the happiest season of his life, happier than he had ever been, because he had found the woman he loves. Ah, isn't that nice? And not only has he found her, he's going to marry her. And Joseph had already planned ahead. He had already drawn up the marriage contract, the marriage covenant. The dowry, the bride price was ready as well. And perhaps Joseph had had to work long and hard hours to accumulate this dowry that he would present to Mary's parents to compensate them for raising this wonderful girl that's going to be his wife. That dowry was important because not only did it have to satisfy Mary's parents, 
But it also had to communicate to Mary, this is how much I love you. This is how much I am willing to give to have you as my wife. Mary would know what Joseph's offer was. And so whatever the duration of time was, however hard Joseph had to work to get everything ready, it was now ready. So with covenant, wedding contract in hand, and dowry ready, Joseph leaves his father's home, and he travels to the home of Mary and her parents to present them with this contract and the bride price. Well, Mary's there. She's a full participant in the process. And after Joseph had made this presentation, when all the information is out, a cup of wine is poured, and it's placed on the table. And there it sat. If Mary and her parents agreed to the terms of the contract, if Mary truly wanted to be Joseph's wife, she would pick up the cup and take a drink of wine. So as you can see, this is a charged moment. Would the dowry be enough? Would the terms be acceptable? Joseph knew that sometimes prospective grooms were sent back home. They had to return to their father's house and say, Father, the dowry wasn't enough. They are demanding more. Father, what do you think? Is she worth it? What is your will? Would Joseph be one of those prospective grooms? How long did Joseph wait for her response? Could have been seconds. Could have been minutes. In any case, it might have seemed like an eternity to him. As Joseph stood there, heart racing, waiting to see if Mary would pick up the cup, take a drink, and accept his offer of marriage. Now, any of you guys who have ever had to ask a father for permission to marry his daughter and then ask the daughter, you know how Joseph is feeling right now. I personally, with four daughters, I can't wait for this moment. <laughs> four guys are going to come to me. Some of them may be presents for me. I don't know that. But I hope, they, I hope they're wearing their depends because it's not going to be an easy moment for them. Oh, you think I'm kidding. So Joseph waits. And he waits. But then finally Mary picks up the cup. Yes, she would be Joseph's wife. And then Mary and Joseph together drink from a cup of wine over which a betrothal benediction has been said. It is now official. Mary was pledged to Joseph. The contract was in place. They would be husband and wife. Then Mary would put on the veil that she would marry until the time of, that she would wear until the time of their marriage. And when people saw Mary and they saw that veil, they would know Mary is pledged. She is going to be Joseph's wife. She belongs to him, set apart for him. She belongs to no one else. Happy moment for Joseph and Mary. But Joseph couldn't linger long over that moment because Joseph had more work to do. And so he had to leave his future bride, probably saying some form of the traditional words, I I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will return for you when it's ready. So off Joseph goes back to his father's house. Because in addition to his job as a carpenter, 
Joseph now had the additional responsibility of building the bridal chamber, the room where he and Mary will live together for the first seven days of their marriage. Joseph knew that sometimes it took a whole year to build the bridal chamber. Some of them were very elaborate, some of them more simple. Certainly Joseph hoped it wouldn't take an entire year, but he didn't know. The time period wasn't up to him. It was up to his father. His father, Jacob, would oversee the project, and the chamber would not be ready until Joseph's father said, yes, now the chamber is ready. So if anyone asked Joseph, Joseph, hey, when are you and Mary going to get married? Joseph would have to shrug his shoulders and say, only my father knows. But when his father decided that the chamber was ready and everything was in place, he would send Joseph along with his groomsmen on their way. Go get Mary. Bring her back here as your wife. So Joseph is happily working on this chamber. He has great incentive. He's got great inspiration. Every hour he spends working on that chamber is an hour closer to having Mary as his wife. So he works with joy. Mary is preparing as well. Since she doesn't know when Joseph is going to come for her, imagine you brides, if you have no idea when your wedding is going to be. She had no idea when her wedding would be. So she had to have everything ready in advance, including oil in her lamp, because Joseph and his groomsmen may come for her at night. But she has to be listening. Because when Joseph comes for her, it's going to be with a shout. I don't know what that sounded like, but Joseph and his groomsmen would shout, Woo! Then they would blast on the ram's horn and Mary would know it's time to go and she would have to gather her things and her bridesmaids and off they would go with Joseph. Now all of this is the reality behind Matthew's simple statement in verse 18. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. All of that stands behind that verse. And it encapsulates this time of excitement and anticipation and joy for Mary and Joseph. Until, of course, Joseph receives the news that shatters his perfect snow globe world. Blows it apart. The next part of verse 18. But before they came together, Mary was found to be with child. Joseph, above all others, knows that the child is not his. And so his excitement and joy is replaced with heartbreak and turmoil. Now Joseph has to make a decision he thought he would never have to make. He had already made his decision. He had already made his commitment. But now he has to decide, what do I do about Mary? And this is the decision that Joseph must consider. This is the decision that keeps Joseph up at night. He keeps thinking about it. He keeps considering it, but no way seems clear to him. But the best plan seems to be that he will not marry Mary. But neither will he be vengeful. Neither will he attempt to get even with her for what she has done to him what she has done to them. Something in Joseph 
probably his deep love for Mary, but also perhaps a heart of compassion and mercy that marked his character, will not allow him to publicly humiliate and disgrace Mary and her family. Joseph will not put the scarlet letter on Mary. He decides that he would be the one to break the marriage contract, to divorce her privately. That means he will simply hand Mary divorce papers and will not accuse her of adultery. That's best for Mary. But in this plan, Joseph loses everything. If he does not accuse Mary of adultery, there will be no court case. He'll be required to give back everything that they have given to him to take Mary as his wife. And additionally, he will still have to pay the bride price to Mary's parents. And so if Joseph goes ahead with this plan, he ends up with nothing. No wife, no compensation of any kind for all that he's endured. In fact, he is still going to have to pay. So this is a moment in Joseph's life. And the kind of moments in our lives when we believe that we need God most. Now here's the truth. We always need God. Always. We just don't acknowledge that need always. Matthew doesn't tell us whether Joseph called out to God in his turmoil, but here's some more good news. God does not need to be invited before he pours out his grace on us. And so God sends an angel to Joseph in a dream with this message. Do not be afraid. We can only speculate about the other emotions that were crashing around in Joseph's heart. Anger, jealousy, disappointment, rejection, who knows? Probably all of those. But we can be certain of this one thing. Joseph was afraid. God knew Joseph was afraid. So God's message to Joseph was what? Do not be afraid. So here is hope for Joseph and for you and for me when we're in turmoil, when we're afraid, we are not alone. Is that good news? No matter what Joseph felt in the moment, his reality was that he was not alone in his struggle. It was not a private matter. It's never a private matter because God is never not omniscient. Not even one moment goes by in your life or my life in which God does not know, in which God does not see what's going on with us. God is never not omnipresent. He is always present, so we are never alone. No matter how alone you may feel, no matter if you choose to ignore God or shut Him out or deny Him altogether, you cannot impact the omnipresence of God. He is always near. Joseph was not alone as he considered what to do. You've got to remember that reality in your life, especially during this Christmas season, Emmanuel season, God with us season. And every season in your life, you're never alone. God sees your saucer eyes. God sees your twisted sheets, just as he saw Joseph's. He knows your fears, just as he knew Joseph's fears, and he has the same ability to speak into your heart as he spoke into Joseph's. 
So don't struggle alone. (laughs) Why would you? Why would you? Call out to God. Encourage others with the same truth about God. Now I'm going to indulge in a, a little speculation at this point. But I want to speculate because I want each of us to be in the best place that we can possibly be to receive the peace of God in the midst of our fears. I want to put us in that place, the best place, to receive the peace of God in the midst of our fears. In order to do that, we have to think about what Joseph feared. What was Joseph afraid of? The passage does not tell us specifically. But after studying the passage and thinking a long time about Joseph, I'll tell you what I don't think he feared. I don't think Joseph was afraid of what people might say. I don't think Joseph was afraid of people whispering behind his back. I don't think Joseph was afraid of appearing weak, not virile. I don't think Joseph was afraid of being the father of another man's child. I don't think he feared that he would be unable to forgive Mary. I don't think he feared those things. But obviously I was not there. I don't know what Joseph thought as he turned on his bed at night. But here's what I do know and what you know because Scripture tells us. Look in verse 19. It says, Joseph was a righteous man. Now that's God's adjective for Joseph. Joseph was a righteous man. A person who is righteous keeps divine and human laws. A righteous man is upright and virtuous and strives to be what he ought to be. A righteous man seeks to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength and to obey his commandments. And so because Joseph was a righteous man, I believe that seeking to obey God is the source of Joseph's fear and conflict. I believe that Joseph believes that he would sin, that he would displease God if he carried on with his marriage to Mary. What does God's law say? You you know already, because guess where the law is? Three guesses, the first two don't count. Where is it? Oh, Deuteronomy. We've already been there. Deuteronomy chapter 22. We're up on chapter 25 or something like this. Deuteronomy 22. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, you shall purge the evil from your midst. You shall purge the evil from your midst. Adultery was a serious business to God. doesn't matter how we view it or how lightly we take it or how easily we excuse it. It was serious to God. Purge evil from your midst. Now, what do you do in that case? If you are a righteous man, then this situation is serious to you as well. So if what Joseph believes to be true about Mary is true, if she is an adulteress, no matter what he wants to do, no matter how much he may love her, how can he please God? Knowing what he thinks he knows about Mary and still love God with his whole heart. Now, it goes without saying 
that God can pour out His grace on your life and my life in any way He chooses. And if you are a believer in Christ, He has already done that. He's poured out His grace on you, and you didn't deserve it, and I can say that to you because I say it to myself. He poured out His grace on us when we did not deserve it. I also have no authority to limit, nor would I want to limit, the grace and the compassion and the mercy of God or how He pours it out. Or to instruct God, God, this is how you should meet us in our fears. That's not my place. But I want to be faithful to the passage that's before us. God met Joseph in his fears when Joseph was struggling with doing what was right. When Joseph was struggling with doing what was in accordance to the word of God. God met Joseph in his fears. When Joseph was seeking to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The very thing that a righteous man would do. I don't know how God may meet you in fears of your own making. I don't know how he might meet you in bad situations in which you find yourself because you are determined to rebel against God. Because you're determined what you want to do regardless of the consequences. Those kind of situations make us saucer-eyed and twisted sheet nights. And they're probably the nights that you prefer to be alone because you don't want to call out to God because you don't want to hear what God has to say to you. But what has to be highlighted in this passage is that God spoke into Joseph's turmoil and fear. God spoke into Joseph's shattered life when Joseph was seeking to obey God. And so I think that's one of the greatest hopes for us that's held out in this passage in Matthew's story. The passage that gives Jesus his name, Jesus. The passage that tells us what Jesus came to do to save his people from their sins. In this passage, God speaks peace into turmoil in the heart and the life of one who is loving him and seeking him and wanting to obey him. So what peace can you imagine entered Joseph's mind when the angel said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For what is conceived of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now think about that. The angel is really encouraging Joseph not to follow the law. Yes, I just said those words. The angel is encouraging Joseph not to follow the law. And that's why Matthew's story of Jesus' birth is so powerful. Because here in this story, before Jesus is born, there's a hint that a new day is on the way. There's a hint that a new way is on the way. And we know him as the way, the truth, and the life. He's already conceived in Mary's womb, though Joseph cannot begin to conceive what it will be like to live in an age of grace. He cannot conceive that perfect obedience to the law, that the unending cycle over and over and over again of sacrifice and payment for sin, that's not going to be required any longer to make him a righteous man. And that's why you and I need to love God more for inspiring Matthew to write this story. Because it's evidence to you and to me 
of how much God wants us to understand the gospel. How much God wants us to know that our righteousness does not come to us by our own doing or our own goodness or our own obedience. It comes to us by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to get that message. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 speaks of God speaking at various times and in many ways. And this story is one of those ways. Because Matthew wrote his story in hopes that the Jewish people would read it. And everything that I've explained to you this morning took no explanation to them. It was part of the rhythm of every day of their lives. To say that Mary was pledged to Joseph would need no more explanation than engagement ring or bridal shower or rehearsal dinner or bachelor party or wedding reception needs explaining to you. You hear the words and you get it. Jesus could have been born. And we're almost through. Jesus could have been born to an unattached, unpledged, single girl. And the miracle of the virgin birth would be just the same. It would still be an unbelievable miracle. But God chose that Jesus would be born to a girl pledged to be married. Because listen, the reality of pledge, marriage covenants, bride price, bridal chamber, waiting period, all those things work together to be one of the many ways that God uses to picture Christ and His work on behalf of His church. God's people, what are we called? The bride of Christ. Jesus, this child about whom the angel speaks, left His Father's home to go to the home of His prospective bride, earth, your home, my home, to purchase her. He came to purchase us. Jesus is going to gather his disciples around a table with a cup of wine. And he's going to say, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. There it is. Take it up. Drink from it. All of you. Enter into this covenant relationship with me. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What day is that? It's the day that Scripture refers to as the wedding supper of the Lamb. We'll drink together with Christ. And then just as Joseph had departed from Mary with the promise to return, so Jesus says to His disciples after He has drunk the cup with them, And before parting from them for the last time, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be also. Christ is going to return for us, his bride. But he tells us no one knows the day or the hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Lord, When will you return? When will the wedding be? You'll have to ask the Father. But Jesus tells us, keep watch. 
Keep watch. The bridegroom is coming. And listen, Jesus tells us that when he returns, it will be with a what? A shout. And the blast of a trumpet. And then after telling us all those things, being with his disciples, Jesus comes to this very private moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when it's just Jesus and it's just the Father. And the cup is before him. Will Jesus pick up the cup and drink the cup that's been set before him? That cup represents the highest bride price that any groom ever had to pay. And so I wonder what the celestial anticipation was as all heaven watched. They saw Jesus sweat drops of blood. They heard him pray, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. This bride price is so high, so costly. Will Jesus pick it up? Will he drink from it? Will he commit to this new covenant? What's the answer? Yes, he picks it up. He drinks the cup and he says, not my will, but yours be done. Father, the price is not too high for me to pay. This bride is worth it. And so he dies on the cross completely and faithfully fulfilling the covenant into which he entered. He pays every cent of the bride price required to purchase you and me. And then, and then what does he do? He leaves us a pledge better than the veil that Mary wore. A pledge that ensures us that we belong to Christ, that we're set apart for him, and that everyone can look at us and know you belong to Christ. In him, Ephesians tells us, you also After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the of you to the redemption of God's own possession. That's us to the praise of his glory. What a story. Second string, you think? No. God has shown us in the story we're never alone. Are you going to go it alone or are you going to go it with God? Come on. God has shown us the benefits that come into our relationship with him when we seek to live right lives before him and love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Look what he does. He speaks peace into our turmoil. Why then would we not seek to live rightly before God? Even in the way that he chose to come to earth Jesus pictured for you and for me the extent of his love and the commitment that he's willing to make to have us as his own, the price he was willing to pay. And he marked us for his own, giving us his spirit as a pledge. He is determined to have us. He is determined to have us. And so he's gone away to prepare a place for us. And when it's ready, he will return for us. How are you going to respond to a love like that? Let's pray. Lord, that is the question. The question before us, how 
will we respond to your great love for us? It's, it's overwhelming, Lord, when we will stop our busyness and just reflect on the magnitude of what you have done for us. The magnitude of the incarnation, you coming to earth for us, coming to our home to enter a covenant with us, to, to purchase us as your own, overwhelming, Lord. How do we respond? Or may it be with greater love for you. May it be, perhaps, Lord, with hearts that desire to, to follow and obey you more and more. Strengthen that relationship with you so that we're always living rightly before you. Always having you speak your peace into our lives. Lord, people of joy, how can we be anything but joyful? Brides, grooms are happy, joyful people, Lord, and so it should be with us. So we should sing for joy at the top of our lungs that you have come, that you have claimed us, that you will come again and take us to be with you forever. That is good news. And we rejoice and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your bulletin. You'll find our last song printed there. Joy to the world. Let's stand and sing with joy.
And God's people said, Amen. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Have a blessed Christmas. Thank you so much. You're dismissed.